You know, one of the most amazing truths to me that the scripture tells us is when God says, um, I actually inhabit your praise. So for for all of us in this room, as we we praise God, God says, I come and I just, I inhabit that. I I come right together. The word I've been using for myself, we did a series on this a while ago, is that basically there's no chasm at all between heaven and earth. Think about this. There's no there's no separation now between heaven and earth. In fact, next week, and when we celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished and what we're going to celebrate next week, which is the greatest event ever in human history, is that God actually took, there is a reality, there is a spiritual reality, a realm that you can't see that's just as real as the chairs and the physical things you can see. And it's God's presence. And what Jesus did is he said, I am going to create no more, there will be no more chasm. I'm going to have heaven and earth collide. I'm sitting there and as I'm singing, that's all I can think about is in this room right now for the rest of our time together. Here's what's true. God is literally right here for every one of us in this room. Is that not cool? That's what's true. That's what we're going to do here today. All right? So, couple things before we get started. One, uh, next week is Easter and Good Friday. And so we have a lot of uh, invitations, okay? Our mission here at K2 is to invite and equip everyone to live out the adventure of following Jesus. So what greater opportunity than this weekend, right? To invite people. We just, I know there's tons of people who on their own, they might even want to go to church on Easter, but they're not going to do it. But if they got an invitation, they would. Okay, so when you head out of the service today, there's tons of these. Grab them for your neighbors, coworkers, family, friends, whatever. And let's invite as many people as we can to give them a chance to hear the greatest news in all the world. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's another cool thing. Uh, If you dropped off your kids at Adventure Canyon today, you saw that we're doing an event coming up next month called Clean Comedy and Clean Water. And so uh, Dave Elsog, our children's director, has a really good friend who's a professional comedian. And uh, you can actually look him up on YouTube. His name's uh, Kevin Horner. And uh, so what we're going to do at 630 uh, that evening, it's a Sunday night on the 22nd, is five bucks. Come on in, and we're just going to have a great time, just family, fun, uh, good comedy together. All right? What's cool, though, is we're actually taking the money that's going to come in, and it's actually going to, the proceeds are going to go to local church catalyst, which a good friend of ours, Naveen, actually, um, it's, a, it's a church and a project of providing clean water in India. So all the proceeds are going to come in and go out. Clean comedy, clean water. All right? Put that in your program. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, next thing is uh, it's something that's new and it's not. It's, it's new and it's old at the same time. And that is Explore K2. So uh, Explore K2 is something that we've actually been doing it, doing, but we're giving it a new name. All right? For all of you who've been here with us for 14 years, for 14 years we have been doing something called the Crash Course. And the crash course was something that would last at least like 12 weeks, and it was a chance to learn about our vision, our mission, and go through all of our values. Well, at this point, we are actually doing a course correction, and we're not going to be doing the crash course anymore. Now, if you actually attend, if you are involved at all here at K2, if you're, if you're connected in life together, if you are on a serving team, at all really engaged in the life of the church... From now on, you are going to be receiving vision podcasts, okay? So you should have all gotten an email with, a, with these vision podcasts. 
I explain in depth why we're making this change from going to the crash course of this Explorer K2, okay? I don't have time to do it this morning. There's 10 to 15 minute explanation for all of you who have been a part of K2 to, to know why we're doing this. But part of the reason is it was just a really hard for a lot of people to be able to go, 12 weeks, I couldn't, I couldn't get there, I couldn't make it. And then all of a sudden we had this crash that was kind of this, this group that's totally committed but we had all these other people who were totally committed, but they felt like they couldn't be part of the crash, and it just started to get confusing. And so now we are just opening it up and saying, hey, if you're involved here, if you're engaged in life together, if you're on one of our serving teams, you're part of the K2 family. Welcome to the family, all right? And so this Explore K2 is happening in two weeks after Easter on the April, April 15th. We will do this on a regular basis, and now this is for all of you who are new, because this is actually what it's for. Every two months, we're going to do Explore K2, and we're, we're still going to cast the same vision. We never want to stop being a church that has reckless faith in Christ and sacrificial love for each other, caring for those who are in need, drawing people into this wonderful relationship with God. All of that is still packed in, but it's now it's two and a half hours on Sunday morning, so you can actually come. It starts during the 1130 service. We provide lunch for you, and we will cast the vision and welcome you. So I, I just want to encourage any of you who've been coming, but you're saying, you know what, I would love to know more about K2, and I'd actually like to jump in and make this our home on April 15th at 11.30. All right? So, and again, all of you who are like, okay, hold on, that sounds like a big change, I want to know more, please listen to the Vision Podcast, or at any time you can contact any of us in leadership, and we'll share that with you. Okay? All right, so at this time, before I jump into the message, we're going to go ahead and take our offering um, we're taking communion at the end of the service today, so we're going to go ahead and take our offering right now. And again, so why do we do this every week? This is so important to me that we don't just get caught up in this religious thing about taking tithes and offerings. The reason we do this, you guys, is because when you love someone, you just want to bless them. When you love someone, the truth is we, all of us, we resource what we love. And those of us who follow Jesus, we love him. And so part of that is just being faithful to give back to him financially, the tithe, the 10% that belongs to him. This is our chance just to do that, to say, yes, God, I trust you. But also this is our way that we love people because everything that goes in actually goes out to minister to people. So this is the greatest thing for our heart, and that's why we do it. So guys, go ahead, and you can start taking the offering. And, um, and as they do, I'm just going to jump right in to the message. All right? In fact, I think I feel like... Now that I've gone, I feel like I need to pray. Can we just pray before I, I jump in? Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this amazing truth that you're going to share with us today. Thanks that we actually live on your word and that your word is going to come out today. Thanks for the scripture, but also thanks for your spirit. I just pray, Lord, that you would take, take this offering that we give to you. Please, Jesus, just bless it, anoint it, and use it to bless others, and to build your kingdom on earth. And then now, we're just grateful that you're here. I know you love everyone in this room. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would cause heaven and earth to collide again, that we would actually hear your voice, that we would receive your grace, and that we would know you more than we did when we came in. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today is the last uh, message in this series called Overcome. But the truth is, this is the last message in a theme of thought that's been happening ever since the first week of January, okay? So if you haven't been here, let me just recap real quick for you. In the month of January, we looked at really what, what is our mission? 
to invite and equip everyone to live out the adventure of following Jesus. And Jesus himself said, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Okay, so I just want to tell you again, real true Christianity is not about going to church. It's not about religious behavior. Real true Christianity is actually knowing Jesus intimately and personally. And the only way you can know him is you got to follow him. You can't sit in the stands and watch him from a distance. You actually have to get right up in him and do everything he says. So we talked in January about that's eternal life, Jesus said. Eternal life is actually knowing me. So let's go all in. That was January. So then in February, we said, okay, so if you're going to follow Jesus, here's four things you can do that will launch you in that, that will really help you experience that. So we talked about, again, the man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how do you get into the scripture and have the word of God be true and real? How do you hear the spirit? Because the spirit of God speaks. Those are words. He speaks and gives us thoughts. How do we do that? So we hit that. Then we talked about reckless faith. We talked about self-discipline. We talked about our attitudes, right? Because if we have to reset our mindset, so much of the reason we're not living is because we're believing things that aren't true. So if we reset our mindset, set our mind on what is true, that can catapult us in. So here's, but here's the reality. As much as you follow Jesus, you are always going to come up against obstacles. You're always going to come. As soon as you follow Jesus, there's going to be stuff that comes against you to try to keep you from following Jesus. So that's why we did this month. And we said, okay, what are some things you're going to have to overcome? And the first thing we looked at is you're going to have to overcome consumerism. Okay? And then last week, Susie, or Susie? No, that would be my wife. Uh, Sally, starts with us. Uh, Sally talked about having to overcome busyness. Now, here's what was interesting to me in that. In the scripture we looked at, what the Bible says is, those who want to get rich, those who get caught up in consuming things, wander from the faith. See, so that's why we have to talk about this, because I want to follow Jesus, because if I follow Jesus, I'm going to know him, I'm going to receive everything that God has for me, and I'm going to really live. But there's this consumerism that says, no, no, and then we wander from it. And then Sally last week talked about busyness, and the scripture she used says that we run after all these things. We're so busy because we think there's so many other things, (laughs) that actually are going to give us life. And so again, instead of following Jesus, we get so busy because we're running after stuff. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? So here's what we're talking about today. But sometimes, it's not about running after or wandering. Sometimes we actually stop. Sometimes, and here's what I'm going to talk about today. Sometimes it gets too hard. And hardship, when things get hard, most of us struggle to keep going. And so we stop. And that is a very real reality that we're going to look at today. So, in, in, so here, think about this. Why do you receive Christ in the first place, right? Because it's good. I receive Christ because he's going to forgive me of all of my sin. And, and I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be reconciled back to God. No shame. No more guilt. Then he's going to fill me with his spirit, and I'm going to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and life to the full, right? And so I'm like, yeah, sign me up. And then you become a Christian. (laughs) And this happens. I've had so many people say, okay, hold on. I gave my life to Jesus, and everything got harder. (laughs) What happened to all that peace and love and joy stuff? So what kind of things? Some of you have had this happen. Some of your family or friends or coworkers started to pull away from you. Some of you actually experienced some persecution just because of your faith. 
But then other times we just, oh, wait, you're, you're following Jesus and then you start to lose things. Like you're dating somebody and it's great and all of a sudden the relationship, they, they leave and, or you lose a job or all of a sudden physical ailments pop up. You get in a car accident. Your finances become a mess. Is it not amazing how quick our finances can become a mess? I mean, unbelievable. Like for me, uh, we had a kid had to go to the emergency room. Holy crow. And then we had a dog who doesn't know when to stop eating underwear and socks. <laughs> so we have to take her to the vet and over and over. And it's like, and then, and then our old cars broke down. And next thing you know, you're like, what's going on? But see, you start following Jesus and you're like, wait a second. Now my finances are a mess. And then there's conflicts. Wait a second. There's, there's all these hard people in my life. We can't figure out parenting. I do the right thing, and it doesn't seem to produce the results. Or, here's another one, well, I'm, I've decided to follow Jesus, but I'm no good at it. And I keep failing. And so then, and because I'm not good, I start feeling all these thoughts, these accusations, you're no good, how could God love you, you're a crappy follower of Jesus. And then, for, and then you start to not feel him like you used to. And so Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And we go, oh, I am. Jesus is not very good at it. And it's not working. Right? This is supposed to make everything better. And so sometimes it gets so hard, and this is true, and we're going to look at it, that we stop. So now here's what's interesting, you guys. Here's some encouragement to you, okay? This is the story of every person who's ever followed God. This is the story of every person who's ever followed God. Right? You got Moses. God shows up. Hey, Moses, you're my man. In fact, I'm going to show up in a burning bush for you. You're my chosen one. You get to lead my people out of Egypt. Woo! Pharaoh won't listen to me. I'm up against a Red Sea with an army on my breathing down my neck. They're going to kill us. The Israelites never listen to me. They grumble and complain. Woohoo! Let's follow God. And then you got David, right? David, you're my man. You're the anointed one. You get to be the king of Israel. Sweet. What happens? Saul, the existing king, hates you. Grabs the green beret and chases you down and tries to kill you. David, for years, has to live in caves in exile. And then once he becomes king, it's his own sons who revolt against him. Woohoo! Let's follow God. Look, look what can happen. And then you got Paul, right? Or Saul. Saul's walking down the road. He's killing Christians. Jesus shows up in a bright light, says, you're my man, anointed. Come follow me. Paul goes, I'm in. And here's what he says. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Come follow me! <laughs> right? And then we have Jesus. And then you got Jesus, who followed his father perfectly. And what happened to him? Constantly rejected, wrongfully accused, abandoned, beaten, and crucified on a cross. And that Jesus says, Come on! Y'all in? Okay, we got one guy down here. <laughs> you guys remember that? There was a time when Jesus was like, hey, you guys, here's what you need. You, you drink my blood and eat my flesh. And everybody's like, all right, see ya. <laughs> and they all leave. And Jesus looks at his disciples and goes, you guys going too? Why? Because when Jesus, if you're actually going to follow Jesus, 
If you're going to follow God, apparently you're signing up for hardship. Now, why is that? But you know what's interesting, you guys? You know why we know these names, Moses, David, and Paul? You know why we know their names? Because they didn't give up. Because they didn't quit. Because when the going got tough, man, they endured. They followed him all the way to the end, and then they lived, right? Because who wrote all the great psalms and all the great praises of God? David did. The one who was hiding in caves. Moses was the man declaring the greatness of God. Paul was out there going, everyone in the world, you need to know Jesus because he's the greatest thing. Everything's garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? These guys who were beaten and chased down and abused and neglected were also the ones saying, this is so worth it. Wow, exactly. See, they know something. And I just, here's what I want to tell you. In my 41 years of following Christ, I, I tell you, why do I do what I'm doing? I, I, well, here's why. Because when I surrendered my life completely to Jesus, I found out that he actually wanted me to be a pastor. I would never choose this in a million years. That's why I'm doing it, simply because he called me to. But you know what the other reason you know why I do this? I do it joyfully and with passion because I know that he is absolutely worth it. I know him. But I also want to tell you, if you followed me for my 41 years and you had a camera on my life, the amount of tears, the amount of crying, the amount of screaming at God, you would have seen me in the red box in our old building at three in the morning, literally throwing tables in our, in our, in our auditorium while I yelled at him. You would have seen me prostrate on the ground saying, I'm done. And you would have seen me, God, this, was, this is my life. I have laid in bed not wanting to move and I have been scared to death. You know why? Because I decided to follow Jesus. Because <laughs> I decided to follow Jesus. So what's this all about, man? I'm going to share with you I, yeah, man, I wish I could write a whole book on this, I think, because I want to share with you a, one of the greatest life lessons I've ever learned in 41 years, and that is hardship. What is it about hardship, and what is it about enduring and not giving up when it's hard that can bring us life? Now, I'm going to share with you from Hebrews chapter 12. In uh, the book of Hebrews, you guys, was written to a group of Christians who were going to quit. They were done. They were fed up. It was too hard. They were getting persecuted. There was financial loss. Their family was rejecting them. And so they were, they were literally going to pack it in. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, don't give up when it gets hard. And I'm going to tell you, man, in one of the darkest times of my life, when I was literally prostrate on the ground, somebody asked me after the service if I ever wanted to commit suicide because they were feeling that way. And I said, I don't think I actually wanted to commit suicide, but I remember wanting to die. I remember I literally would, was going through the hills of, 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 of Pennsylvania, and I was like, oh, God, if a semi could just be coming over that hill on the wrong side of the road, that'd be awesome. And it was this passage right here that God gave me, became a bedrock for me when life got hard. Okay, here we go, Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, he starts with that because in the chapter before, Hebrews chapter 11, is called the Hall of Faith. Moses is in there, David's in there, right? All these great people. But it's crazy, all these amazing people, men and women of the faith, and some of them saw great stuff, and some of them saw great hardship. He goes, we got a great cloud of witnesses. And that doesn't mean they're going, hey, how are you guys? They're not. No, they are witnesses. They're people who can tell us, here's what's true. It's worth it. Hang on. Because of that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let me stop right there. This is important. What did Jesus say? Okay. All you guys, if, if some of you in here aren't Christians, I must say it again, man. Don't confuse religion and church attendance for following Christ. Okay? It's following, it's knowing him. So Jesus, what did Jesus say? He goes, you got to come follow me. So if you make a decision to follow Jesus, then who actually is leading? Jesus is. You don't get to say, hey, I'd like to go here and I'd like to do that. It's like, no, Jesus is actually calling the shots and you follow him. So that's what he's saying. He goes, you have a race marked out for you. You don't get to choose the race. But here's what's cool. Every one of you in this room, God has a race and he's marked it out for you. Oh, by the way, I didn't say that. Here's, this is super important to understand. Like my 41 years and my suffering, here's what you got to make. This is so important. Don't compare your hardship to another person's hardship. This is huge. Because you know what's true? There's always somebody who's suffering more than you are. Always. Who's gone through more stuff. By the way, it's just not fair. God is not up there with equality and suffering. I can just tell you that right now. There's some people who go through a whole lot more than I ever have. And then I know other people, and they, they, they never go through nothing. <laughs> I, I, it reminds me of, of, of Peter at the end when Jesus, after he rose, you know, he came back, and he's reinstating Peter at the very end of the book of John. And he grabs Peter, and he by the shoulder, and they're walking along the lake, and he goes, hey, Peter's going to tell you, you're going to be crucified, and you're going to suffer, and you're going to die for me. Okay? He's basically letting him know what's going to happen to him. And I love it because Peter's walking with Jesus, and he sees John, and he goes, well, what about him? <laughs> Does he get to suffer like me? And I love, Jesus says, what's that to you? That's literally his answer. Hey, what happens to John? That's not, that's not up to you. You, what? You, come on, anybody know? You, you don't know. Okay, you, follow me. <laughs> that's cool. No, he looks at Jesus, or Peter, and he goes, Peter, it doesn't matter what John's going to go through. I got, my, I got my role with John. You follow me. Okay? All right. Okay. Stop getting off. Go, go, Dave, go. <laughs> so what do we do? Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Setting your mind on him. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And here it is. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? This is encouragement today, you guys, that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves 
And he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone was under discipline, you're not legitimate. In other words, I'm not going to discipline your kids. That's not my role. But I better discipline mine. So if you're not being disciplined by God, that means you're not even his kid. Because if you're his kid, he's going to discipline you. Verse 9, moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God, this is good stuff. Okay, how many parents in the room? All right. Can I ask you guys? Is not disciplining your kids one of the hardest things you've ever done? Can I hear amen? amen? It is super hard to discipline our kids. Why? First of all, because it causes them pain. And I don't know about you, unless you're really weird. I mean, I don't want to cause my kids pain. But if I am going to discipline them, they are going to experience pain. But here's the reason the other, if, but if you don't, if you don't discipline your kids, an undisciplined child is an unloved child and a miserable child. Their life will be miserable. And not just for them, but for everybody around them. <laughs> Amen? All right. So here's what we got to talk about. The Bible is saying, listen, this is your father. This is your father. And he's going to discipline you. And it's never going to be pleasant at the time. So here's what I'm going to share with you today. The two main points. Number one is what is God's goal in hardship? Because God has no problem with hardship. What is his goal with hardship? And then secondly, we're going to look at how does God discipline in hardship? And then really quickly at the end, I'm going to give you four, in this verse, passage, there's four ways that we're supposed to respond to hardship. Okay? So we got to bust it. Here we go. Number one, God's goal of hardship and again, you have to remember this, right? He says, there's been a race marked out for you. How many of you, just real quick, how many of you have ever run a race? Okay, all right. Now think about this. How different is it when you're running a race and when you're going out for a jog? Think about it. How many of you in the morning when you're gonna go out for your jog are like, all right. <laughs> no, you're not like that. You're like, oh God, I can't believe I'm gonna do this. <laughs> you know? See, but when you're like this, yeah, and, and what God is saying is, this is how you should be living your faith. Why? Because it's a race. You're not just out there jogging around. He goes, I have a prize for you. Because that's in a race, what? You, rave, you run a race to win. And Paul says in another place, so run this race so that you actually win it. In Hebrews 12, 2, it said, for the joy set before Jesus he endured the cross. Why? How could he handle the hardship? Because the joy set before him. Oh, and you know what the joy before Jesus was? Why he was like this, living his life, following God. Do you know what the joy? The joy was you. The joy was, oh my God, all this hardship's going to be worth it. Because I'm going to reveal the glory of God and I'm going to save humanity so that every human being has a chance to live with me forever. God has a goal for you too. Look at this. And there's two of them. And this is so important. 
when life is hard, okay, God has a goal for you. Here's the first one. It's to share in his holiness. Look at it. Hebrews 12.10. God disciplines us. Repeat this. Say this word with me. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Well, what's good then? What's really good? Sharing in his holiness. Okay? Maybe this will help. Romans 8.28. Classic verse. We learned this in December. We know that in all things... All things, which means good, bad, hard, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. There it is. Called according. Hey, I'm asking you to follow me. I called you to my purpose, to follow me, to run the race that I've marked out for you. And any person who said, I'm in, I'm going to follow you. He goes, all right, here's what's cool. I'm going to work in everything that goes on in your life for the good, and you can know that. But then he defines what's good in verse 29. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to, to the image of his son. You guys, this is what's good. What's good is actually being like Jesus. That's what's good. Sharing in God's holiness is what's good. So what does it look like to be like, if you and I were like Jesus, what would that be like? Well, it would mean that we would be so completely filled with God's presence and we would know his love so deeply that with anything else in the world fell apart, we'd be okay. People could reject us. People might, might, things might not go good. I could lose a job. My finances might fall apart. But if you're like Jesus, he so was filled with God's presence and his love that he was okay with anything that happened. How's that sound? Okay, like three of you like that. That's cool. But that's what God has for you. He goes, I want you to be like Jesus, to be holy unto me, to not need your job and finances and your wife or your husband to get their act together or your health to be okay. If you need all those things and if you don't have them, you're going to fall apart. Guess what? All those things are going to fall apart. I want you to be like Jesus. What else was Jesus like? He actually had oneness with God. Whatever the Father told him, he did. Nothing. And so God is like, here's my goal for you. I want you to get to the point where every time I tell you to do something, you just do it. I want you to get to the point where you actually follow Jesus, where you walk in the Spirit. You know why? Because if you do, all of my will for your existence would actually happen. Anybody want that? Yes. God's purpose for your life. So here's what he's saying he is. So no fear, no person, no opinion, no idol. I want you to be like Jesus. So instead of despair, there's hope. Instead of worry, there's peace. Instead of wandering, there's identity and purpose. Instead of self-absorption, there's love. Instead of living for the temporary, you live for the eternal. And here's what's crazy. What's good? God disciplines you for your good. And I'm telling you, the only good thing is really knowing Christ. Really walking with him. Anything less is not Life, eternal life is knowing Christ. And so God says, I love you so much as a father. That's my goal for you. 
And I can tell you this right now, man. He's so holy, he won't settle for anything less than you and me being everything that he created us to be. And I want to tell you, man, I shared with you guys last month that I was so struggling with negative thoughts that God was actually against me. Right? So I, I share, I did the 21-day detox, and I went after it. I tried to reset my mindset because if God's against me, I'm screwed, man. I don't got nothing. And those were lies from the pit of the hell trying to keep me. So I went after it, man, and God worked. And you know what? It was so surprising because what I thought he was going to do in me, he didn't do. You know what he was saying to me initially? David, 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 David. Come on, man. I can't be against you. I can't. I love you. He goes, here's the problem. He goes, I'm not against you. I just love you in a way you don't want me to. I love you in a way you don't want me to. Come on, man. My kids would say that all the time about me. I love them in ways they don't want me to. You know why? I actually have a greater vision for their life than they do at this point. And God has a greater vision for you than you do. And he's relentless in helping you to get there. So, the first goal God has for you, when hardship comes, you've got to believe this. God wants me to share in his holiness. He wants me to be like Jesus. That's why he's doing this. Number two, he wants you to reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 11, it produces discipline. Hardship produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So again, you've got to be trained by this. You know what righteousness is? This is an amazing definition. Because most of us think righteousness. Oh, I can't drink and I can't chew or go with girls that do and I better not do this and I better not do that. That is not what righteousness is. You know what righteousness is? It's the state of him who is as he ought to be. Write that one down. It's the state of him who is as he ought to be. That's why when we hear a musician and they're good, you know why? Because they played it right. That's why when we watch an athlete and we go, oh man, he's so good. Why? Because he played the play right. Yesterday I'm driving my old Volvo down I-215, busting down the street, bam, it just stopped and working. <laughs> yeah, pushing down the gas, nothing. You know, pull over to the side of the road. Last night we go to watch a movie, turn on my TV, lines just going down, just going down. You know, my car is not as it ought to be. <laughs> and my TV is not as it ought to be. It's not right. And you know what? When I turn on the car, I want to push down the gas and have it be as it ought to be. And all God is saying is, and that's what I want your life to be like. I don't want you sitting on the side of I-215, and some of you are. Some of you are. You're like, why doesn't my car work? And God's like, I am so committed to you, to being you, everything you ought to be. And that's what it is, man. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, but perseverance finishes its work so that you might be, look at this, mature and complete and lack nothing. How's that sound? Awesome. See, that's what you got to believe. When hardship comes, God is going, listen, man, this discipline that I'm actually putting you through, it's so you can be everything that you were meant to be. Absolutely. So, let's go to the second one then. Then what is God's discipline in hardship? It's interesting, this word, actually. 
in the Greek, they had a word that just encompassed the whole idea of helping a child to be as they ought to be. Here's a definition I found. Whatever parents or teachers do with children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. So, so it was a very wide range. I'm going to give you four things that God might do, and this is what you got to believe, okay? Why is hardship happening to me? Number one, when you're disciplining someone, you're teaching them, okay? So here's the first thing you can know. And you got to ask yourself a question. When life gets really hard, you got to go, okay, what's God trying to teach me? What's he trying to teach me? Every trouble, there's something to learn. I, I learned a while ago, you guys, I just hate, I'm, I'm like one of my idols. I, I, I hate this about me. I just want to keep the peace. Let's just all get along, right? I hate conflict. Anybody else hate conflict? You know? So you know why? Because conflict is hard. It's hard. And a couple years ago, I feel like God finally started to reveal to me, hey, Dave, you know what? Here's, here's the deal. In my essence, I am one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when I died on the cross, Jesus, when I died on the cross, the whole purpose of me dying on the cross was so that we could, I could unify everything. When, when people are filled with my spirit, here, here would be cool. If two people were living exactly like Jesus, you know what would happen? They'd never be in conflict. But now you and I are human, so here's what we can know. Every time we're in conflict, you know what's going on? It's just a chance for discipleship. He just totally changed my mind. Instead of freaking out, go, hold on a second. You know why we're in conflict? Because one of us isn't being like Jesus. So now let's just look at this and go, okay, where am I not being like Jesus? And now I can actually, so guess what? You know what God does? I think God actually provides hard people in our lives. I think he really does. And the hard people come in our life and we're like, oh my gosh, you make me so. And, the, and God's up there, no, that was all just in you. <laughs> and because I love you so much, I just wanted to show you. So I brought this guy in your life, and he totally, you know, hurt you. And, but I'm with you. Okay? He's teaching you something. So that leads me to the second one. It's testing. God tests us. You remember what James said in James 1? He goes, consider it pure joy when trials of many kinds come. I've always been like, that is just weird. <laughs> but he says, why? Because I'm testing your faith. Now what, guys, think about this. If you're a teacher and you love your students, what you do is you test them. But what are you doing? Here's all a test is. I said this a few months ago. A test does nothing but reveal what's actually in there. That's all it does. Right? So you take this test, you're like, oh, my God, I don't know the answer. Okay, great. That's what I want to know. See, now, in our problem is a test is pressure. Because if I don't get the right answers, I don't pass. And if I don't pass, then I don't get my degree. And see, that's what we think God is like. And so we think, i got to get my act together. And if I'm not good enough, then I'm going to fail. And, God's, and this is why we love the gospel, because Jesus is up there going, no, 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 wait, stop. I died for all of your sin. You've already passed. <laughs> you, you're right? I mean, you are totally justified. You're completely clean. And so you don't ever have to fear my test. I'm not taking a test to see if you can get into heaven. Now, come on, you guys, if you think you're going to get up there and try to pass a test to get into heaven, yes. you're in trouble because <laughs> you'll never pass it. But Jesus is going, this is why it's good news, the gospel. He's like, no, I took all of your sins, so you're good to go. So now here's what you can know. When hardship comes, I'm telling you this, you guys, nothing, nothing will reveal what's actually inside you more 
than trouble, more than hardship, more than affliction. And so God is just going, hey, I'm going to test your faith. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. Um, this, this actually might happen. You might lose your job. <laughs> I'm going to lose my job. So I was like, okay, God's like, okay, hold on a second. See, I just wanted to show you, okay, like if that job is your life and that you're, you're, you're tanking because you don't have that job, it's way too important to you. I just wanted to show you that. I just wanted to show you. Your, but your finances fall apart and all of a sudden your finances are going away and you're like, ah, I can't, I can't. And God's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. So I had that happen, see, because I wanted you to show you. I wanted to test your faith. I wanted to see if you could trust me when you lose a job. I wanted to see if you could trust me when your finances aren't going good. Okay, you're dating somebody and you think, man, she's the one. She's going to be it. That's going to be awesome. And she's like, yeah. Oh, no, Facebook probably. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Right? So, so then what happens? Oh, it's like, oh, oh, oh. And God's like, okay, see, I just need to let you know. Like, you were way thinking that chick was going to make you complete. And that would so make your marriage miserable. See, here's what I know. God tests us. Hardships come. Hard people, hard situations come. And what happens is all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, I thought I trusted him, but I don't. That's all God's doing. I had a situation you guys happened early in K2. It destroyed me. It brought so much fear. It was one of the moments where I was stuck in my room. It was super hard. And what was so crazy to me is it all happened. And I thought, oh, I'm going to trust God. I'm a pastor right? And I went to trust him, and my arm was like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and when I realized, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never used that muscle. I've never had to trust God with that before. So you know what God was doing? He was like, yeah, I know, I'm testing you. See, so I, I put you in this situation, and what I did is it revealed you don't trust me in this area. So guess what? You're actually not like Jesus in this area. Does this make sense to you guys? No. See, once you realize when a hardship comes and you start choking, it's because your life support is attached to something else besides God. And God actually wants to set you free from that. That's all the hardship is doing. Here's the third thing it does, though. He trains you. Testing a discipline actually trains you. I love Tom Landry, right? Suffering, a good coach makes you do something you don't want to do so that you will become who you want to be. And I want to tell you, man, this is what God does. God will lead us into really hard things. He will make you do things you don't want to do. He'll put you in situations you don't want to be in. But I, so again, I went through a super dark time in the mid-90s. Again, it was, at one point, it was kind of like this paralyzing fear. It was really bothering me. And then a few years later, another situation rose up just like it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I remember going, okay, God. Please take away my fear. I want to honor you. Please take away my fear. And then God was like, okay, grab my hand. I'm like, okay, man, I need you so bad. And I grabbed his hand. I did it, which meant basically meant, all right, I'm going to trust you. And you know what happened? The very next day, the very thing I was afraid of. <laughs> Who are you? You're sadistic. What is this God? I ask you to take away my fear. And the very next day, you lead me right into it. Who wants to follow a God like that? <laughs> and you know, what, you know what he said? He goes, David, you asked me to take, did you ask me to take away your fear? Okay, cool. See, he goes, if I took away the problem, then you would just be afraid it'd come back. 
And so what I needed you to do is I needed you to actually grab my hand and as a good shepherd I, and a good dad, I led you right into what you're afraid of so that you could see that with me, I'm bigger than that thing you're freaking out about. And now you know, you don't have to be afraid of that. You guys see this? Yeah. What do you believe about your God? Here's what he showed me for 41 years. He ain't nothing like me. <laughs> That's what I can tell you. He does stuff like I would never do because he wants me to be like Jesus and Jesus isn't afraid of nothing. So he trains you and makes you do what you don't want to do so you'll become who he created you to be. And here's the last one. We've got teaching, we've got testing, we've got training, and then we have torture. Um, I didn't know if I was going to use that word. It's hard to think that God would torture us, but here's the definition of the Greek word, the act of inflicting severe pain on someone as a punishment. Now, it's interesting, in our NIV, our, our modern-day translation, it says, he chastens everyone. You know what chasten means? It means to have a restraining or moderating effect. I just, I'm sorry, but I just think that's interesting. God might restrain you. You know what the Greek actually means? The word means to scourge. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus was flogged before he was crucified. Oh, no. The word literally means severe pain. And so I'm a little frustrated that the Bible is like, God will chasten you. We know what the, God, what the Bible is saying is God actually will cause you to experience pain. You know why? Because he loves you. Because he's a good dad. Come on now. When your child is engaged in a behavior that is wrong, and you know it's wrong because if they keep doing it, it's going to destroy their life. It's going to destroy the people around them. It's detrimental to them. Then what do you do as a parent if you love your child? you will inflict some sort of pain. Now, that might be spanking, that might be grounding them, or God forbid, you might take away their phone. <laughs> you might not let them play PlayStation. <laughs> That's my home. No, but what's happening in that moment is what? You're saying... I need to cause something to pain because there must be a change in your behavior. And you guys, let's be honest. We are with God the same way our kids are. Our kids are like, are you kidding me? Why are you doing this? We're the same way with God. Why did you take that away from me? Oh, get back in the corner. Right? <laughs> Give me your phone. <laughs> God is willing to do that with us because he loves you so much and he doesn't, if you're in a behavior and you won't change. He loves you too much to let you stay to do that. He's not going to let you kill yourself or kill other people around you. Now, here's what's interesting. The worst torture, and now that my kids are older, you know what I realize the worst torture is that I can do for them? Is actually let them experience the consequence of their own decision. <laughs> this is hard as a parent. Don't, right? And you guys, right? Don't you want to rescue your kids? Yes. Want to sneak him and help them not? No, you know, the best thing I can do is let them experience the consequence for their own decision. You know what's crazy? In Romans 1, 
It says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. There's his punishment. Because although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. So in other words, even though they knew God, they didn't do what God wanted them to do. Even though I know you're my mom and my dad, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. He's like, okay, so, and then this crazy verse, it says, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart. I think the worst thing, the worst punishment God actually does for humans, apparently, is go, um, all right, go for it. And he doesn't rescue us from the consequence of our decisions. And that's painful. But here's what you got to remember. Whether it's testing or training or pain, the only reason God does that, even the pain, is so you'll come home. The prodigal kid went away and squandered everything, but when he came home, his dad opened him with big arms. You guys, here's what I know. I know after 41 years with Jesus, he tests me because he loves me. And he trains me because he loves me. And he inflicts punishment when he needs to because he loves me. Because he wants me to be as I ought to be which is like Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I literally have to, I don't have time uh, but I, to do a whole message. I could do a whole message on this, but can I just share real quick, here's the four responses. Here's your application, okay? Number one, don't take hardship lightly. Hebrews 12, 5, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Come on, all you parents, isn't it true? Nothing frustrates me more than when I go to discipline my kids and they're like, right, rolling their eyes at me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And you just know they're not. You know, so, so here, here's, what's, here's the thing. Here's what God's saying. When the hardship comes, don't take it lightly. You know why? Because God would actually won't give up, and it'll just get more severe. And it will get more severe. And it will get more severe because he is absolutely committed to you becoming like Jesus. So don't take his discipline lightly. If, he, if you're in hardship right now, go, okay, God, what do you want to teach me? What are you teaching me? What are you testing, man? How are you training me? How can I respond to you? And as soon as you respond, God will relent. That's how he works. Number two, don't lose heart. Some of us don't take it too lightly. Some of us take it too seriously. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. This is mine, to be honest with you. I actually, this is where I, t I do just the opposite. I, I, I lose heart. I start because, because I will actually start to think, I get goofy in here, that God's against me. He doesn't love me. He's not good. It's not trustworthy. And, and, and now I'm heavy because I don't know why God, why is he so mad at me? And I start to lose heart. He says, don't lose heart. Okay? Why? You cannot lose heart when you know he's a good, good father who's just committed to you being everything that he wants you to be. So number three, endure. Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his children. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. They're both the exact same Greek word, perseverance and endure. You know what the word means? This is so interesting. To remain in a place instead of leaving it. Do you guys hear that? To remain in a place instead of leaving it. That's why I wanted to do this message. Because Jesus says, come follow me. And sometimes you follow him and it gets super hard. And you're like, I'm done. I'm done. And you know what happens? If you say, I'm done, you never experience Moses, David, or Paul type of living. You never get to see you being everything that you were created to be. 
So the scripture says, he's loving you. Endure. Don't give up. Stay in that place. Sit in it and don't leave because there is a beautiful goal that God has for you and it's going to be worth it. And then the last thing is submit. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? And you guys, this is why I'm still cranking and why I love him more than ever after 41 years of following him. He has given me grace to not quit. But you know what the word submit is? You know what, to submit, you know what you have to do? That means you have to humble yourself. That means you have to humble yourself and go, God, I don't get you, but I trust you. Do whatever you want to do in my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. And even though it's painful, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to trust you one more time. And I'm going to take one more step of faith. And I'm going to follow you. And you know what the Bible says? God gives grace to the humble. All you got to do is submit to the Father of your spirit who loves you. And he will give you the grace. And you will start to become as you ought to be. You got a good, good father. Endure hardship, overcome it, and see what he has for you. So here's how we're closing today. Band's going to come up. These guys are going to come up. We're going to take communion. Now, why? Why do we need to take communion today? Because Jesus said, when he broke the bread and the wine, he said, do this in remembrance. Why is he saying that? You guys got to remember me. You got to remember me. You got to remember me. Now, what do you have to remember about God today? You must remember today that he's a good, good father. You got to remember that. You got to remember he can only love you. You have to remember that anything that he does is always for your good to help you become like Jesus, and he will do whatever it takes to get you to that place. And so how can we know when it's hard and the Satan's lying to us and saying, see, God doesn't love you. Look what he's doing. He's taking away your dreams. It's like, well, that's because he has a better dream. But, but what do you do? You must know he loves you. And how do we know God loves us? Because he sent his one and only son to die for us to give his life for us. So when these guys pass out communion, take the bread, which is his body, hold it in your hands, and remember, this is Christ who was tortured and flogged and beaten and crucified because he loves you so much. And then take the cup and hold it and just remember that Jesus forgives you totally. You don't have to pass anything because you already have in Christ. And then soak in the beauty of these words of this song. Soak in that, hold these elements, and then I'll come back up and we'll take it and we'll close our day.